Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. How many, uh, how many uh, football fans do we have in the house today? Amen? All right. More specifically, I know we live in Redskin country and Raven country. How many Redskin fans are in the house? I see a few. Okay. I know, I know you're scared. I know you're scared to tell, tell us who you are. <laughs> How many Raven fans do we have in the house? Wow, we only had one at 9 o'clock. Amen. Wow, poor Ravens. Amen. How many Cowboy fans do we have in the house? Yeah, all right. How many Steeler fans do we have in the house? How many people could not give a flip about football do we have in the house? Amen. <laughs> I knew we'd have a bunch of those in here as well. But uh, all right, we're going to have a good time today. I'm going to try to preach to everybody, not just the football fans. Okay, if you go to any sporting event, it doesn't really matter if it's baseball or football or NASCAR, you're going to see a wide variety of fans participating in the sport in their own unique ways. I kind of got them categorized, and I want to share those with you here today. First of all, you have what I call the casual spectator. They're the person that shows up. They might have even gotten their tickets for free. I don't know. They just came with a friend. They may not even know the rules uh, or follow the team, but they watch the game because it's entertaining. It's an opportunity to hang out with friends. They might even be in the nosebleeds, and they have their binoculars so they can see what's going on. They're sitting in the cheap seats, and they don't know a whole lot, but they're just glad to be there, and they're a good casual spectator. Then you've got what I call the tailgaters, amen? How many of you would classify yourself as a tailgater, all right? They're the more serious spectators. They come early. They stay late. They bring a grill. They have a cookout. They hang out. Some of them are also casual spectators who just are there for the party, but some of them are hardcore fans. I mean, they love watching the game. They love all the minutia of the game. They're the hardcore tailgaters. Then at any sports cast at the professional level, you got the commentators, right? These are the people in the booth. They do the TV and the radio broadcast. They know quite a bit about the game, the players. And it's their job to let you know what they know and to add some information and some understanding, some color. Matter of fact, they even call them sometimes color commentators. Then you've got another group called the cheerleaders, amen? <laughs> now, they're not in the stands with the spectators, but they're on the sidelines. Their job is to fire up the players, go, fight, win. They're to hype the fans. And then if the team's not doing good, their job is to distract the fans, amen, and entertain the fans and give them a little something to cheer about. These are the cheerleaders. Then you've got the coaches. A lot of them are former players themselves. Their job is to teach and to train and to equip the players to win. And they come up with a game plan and they come up with a strategy to defeat the opponent. That's their jobs. Then you've got 
the players. The actual people who are on the field making it happen. They wear the shoulder pads. They wear the football helmets. They're the ones that practice. They're the ones that perform. They're the ones that wear the uniforms. They're the ones that put the time and the energy in to make the results happen. And that is victory. Amen. I happen to be a person that believes that games are not won by the coaching staff or the spectators or the cheerleaders. The games are won by the players on the field. Amen. Now, you've got all these different groups that make up the game experience, spectators, cheerleaders, and players. And the thing about it is, a lot of people, I have found, approach their Christianity and even the church the same way that we approach sporting events. Think about it. For example, you've got the casual spectators. They're the people, they watch they may not be invested in the team. They may not even know what's going on, right? What are they doing? Why is he acting that way? What is this all about? They, or maybe they're coming and they're a casual spectator. They've been doing it since they were a child. Maybe they got invited by a friend. But they're there and they're observing. Then you've got the tailgaters. These are the folks that come early and they stay late, right? They like to eat. They like to party. They like to have fun. They live, breathe, and they party with the team. Amen. They live to see a victory week in and week out. How many tailgaters do we have in the house? Come on, I'm talking about spiritual tailgaters. Then in the church, you've also got the commentators. Amen. These are the people that know and understand all the rules, they know what it means to be a Christian. They can quote a whole lot of scriptures to you. Some of them are very entertaining and helpful. Then some of them, if we're being honest, are just downright annoying. Amen. Can I get a little witness in the house? Amen. And then, of course, you've got the church cheerleaders. These are the people that are standing on the sideline. They're all for Christianity. They want to encourage others. They play their role. They smile a lot. But even though they know the cheers and they wave the pom-poms, that's really as far as they want to go. They don't want to get on the field. They'll cheer for a victory. They'll applaud you when you do well. But we've got the cheerleaders. Then you've got the coaches. They help to equip, train, teach. Not only the players how to win, but the coaches' goals are to make the entire team a success. Amen? And for the organization to be a winning organization day in and day out. Amen. Then you've got the players, the doers, the people that get it done, the actual workers in the field, the men and the women on the gridiron, the ones who determine if the team wins or loses. Amen. They practice, they work, they grind. Come on. Amen. They give. They're more than hearers. They're doers. So it's a lot like the sports world. And with so many similarities, I thought it would be fun to take a look at what would the church be like if the church was a sporting event. Let me bring your attention to the screen.
are just about ready for the big show to start here in sunny Steepleville. And what a day it is. It just doesn't get any better than this. I'm Bob Cobb, joined by my colleague, Taffy Babbler. And you're looking at beautiful aerial shots provided by Airship Worship, now broadcasting in HD. And you love to see the players getting focused, getting their mind right, getting in the proverbial zone. And here are the starting lineups brought to you today by Stump and Sons Altars, keeping knees at ease since 1933. Dan Verbosti, pastor, the Bamford Theological Seminary. Jerry Woodwind, worship, Eastern Southwest Central School of Divinity. Frank Banter, associate assistant to the intern of the executive minister of community ministry, GED. Jerry, how is the injury? Uh, you know, it's, it's fine. There's some soreness. Uh, X-rays were negative, but I should be fine as long as I stay away from B-flat. So. Are you worried about re-injuring it? Um, you know, as long as I, I play hard and, and play at my pace, uh, I think I should be fine. Have you ever bet on attendance? What? Have you ever taken anabolic steroids? No. Have you ever lip-synced worship? <laughs> Listen, we're about to get started here. And here's the kickoff. And it's a slow play. Wow, that's big. You're the home team. You want to have a surprise or two up your sleeve. What I call mix-it up ability. It sounds like the new Darlene Zek or or Zeke or Zeku. Zeesh. Yeah, is it Zeechi maybe? Uh, Darlene Zahash. Uh, let's go to our sideline reporter, Billy Sturpot. This uh, crowd seems a little bit lethargic, but uh, this town is known for late crowds. So maybe by halftime, they'll be a little more into it. It looks like Johnny Weems is headed for an early exit. Chiefs fan. They play at 11. Oh, my. Look at this. A huge error. Enormous. You're the media team. You're leading the league in fumbles. You can't let this happen. You can't let this happen. Terrible timing, especially on a new song. Look at this crowd. It, it's bedlam. Pandemonious. Look at Maggie Jensen, veteran, overloud singer. She hasn't missed a word. What a performance. One of the greats, Bob. One of the greats. All right, how about that? <laughs> if church was a sporting event, amen. Some of that's so funny because it's so true, right? Let me begin my message with a story. Behold, a ball team went forth to play the game of baseball. Just as the umpire was saying, batter up, the catcher for the home team arrived and he took his place. The center fielder did not arrive until the end of the first inning. The second baseman didn't arrive until the end of the second inning. The first baseman didn't show up at all, but later he sent his regrets and said that he had to go to a chicken dinner at his Aunt Mary's house. The third baseman likewise failed to come to the game having been up late the night before, and he desired to spend the day relaxing at home. The left fielder decided he was going to visit another ball game across town this week. The shortstop was present, but he left his glove at home. Two of the substitute fielders were away on a little weekend trip, so they couldn't make it, but they were there in spirit. Amen. Verily, when the pitcher got on the mound and looked around for his teammates, Lo, his heart was heavy, for their place, places were empty. But the game was announced. There were visitors in the stands. There was nothing he could do but just pitch the ball and hope for the best. So the pitcher smiled. He tightened his belt. He did his best to put the ball over the plate. But he was not at his best that day because he was distracted. He was concerned about all the other players that weren't there. 
and he had to serve as pitcher, first baseman, third baseman, and left fielder. There were loud boos from the stands as the home team was badly beaten that day. It was truly a disgrace to the noble game of baseball. When all the absent members heard about what happened and how their team had lost the game that day, they were furious and a decision was finally made. We need a new pitcher. <laughs> but the question was, who really lost the game? Who really lost the game? Why did the team lose? Was it because the pitcher couldn't pitch a perfect curveball? Was it because his fastball wasn't fast enough? Or maybe could it possibly be that there just weren't enough players on the field? And you see today at churches all around our country, we've got a lot of different kinds of folks in attendance, don't we? We've got some that are players, some that are athletes. We've got spectators. We've got cheerleaders. We've got uh, the rabid fans. We've got the tailgaters. Everybody's a part of the team or they're involved with the team. They've got a uniform on. They appear to be ready for action. But we've also got the casual spectators that are really just here to check things out and see what's going on. And then you've got the coaching staff. They're running around doing all their various things to try to make sure that the team is a success, that we have a winning day, that we have a winning Sunday. Then, lest we forget, don't forget about the owner, our Heavenly Father, who is peering down from his luxury box, seeing it all take place. So see, as a church family, guys, we are all of these things, right? Look around. We're diverse. We have different talents. We have different callings. We have different desires. But we're also at different levels of commitment to what's happening on the field. Here's my challenge to you today on Jersey Sunday. It's a very simple one, and it's a question. Are you happy being a spectator in the stands, a cheerleader on the sidelines, or are you willing to get in the game and be a player? Amen? See, because as great as being a fan is, or even a cheerleader, wearing the team colors, putting on a jersey, there's nothing compared to actually being a player in the game. Amen. See, some people are willing to suit up occasionally, but they're content just to sit on the bench their entire life and not fulfill their potential. They're content to sit on the bench and let others determine the outcome of the game. But unlike a football game or a sporting event, really, that is solely for our entertainment, God's kingdom requires the involvement of his people. And if you want to know why, it's because people in our community and in our schools and on our jobs, they are dependent upon us being more than a cheerleader or just a casual spectator in the stands. Amen. See, because if the lost and the hurting in our community are ever going to join the team themselves, amen, we've got to decide, am I a spectator, am I a cheerleader, or am I a player, amen? Am I content just staring through the binoculars from the cheap seats the rest of my life? Am I going to be happy just waving the pom-poms and cheering for the team? Or am I willing to take the pads and put on the shoulder pads? Am I willing to grab a helmet and get myself engaged in the game? Because hear me, folks, not only is the team owner in the luxury box looking and evaluating, 
But we need to ask ourselves a question. Do you really want to live your entire life wondering what would have happened if I had gotten out of the stands and into the game? Do you really want to live your whole life wondering what would have happened? Who could have I have reached? What lives could have been changed? How differently would my life have turned out if I had put my binoculars down and put on the shoulder pads? Amen? See, thank God for active members in the body of Christ who faithfully give, who faithfully serve, who faithfully love those around us. I see many of you each and every Sunday. God bless you. God bless you for that. But for many people, maybe even some in this room or some that are watching online, maybe you're just on the outside and you're looking in, or maybe you just occasionally wave a pom-pom in the air. I want to challenge you today, don't be content being on the inactive roster. Amen. Don't be content being on the injured reserve. How many of you know some people that are hurt? How many of you know people that have church hurt? Come on, it's a real thing, amen? But we've got a decision to make. Am I going to stay on the injured reserve for the rest of my life? Or am I going to move forward and get back on the field of play? Do you really want to be a spectator in the stands? A cheerleader on the sidelines? When you can put on the pads and be in the game. Amen? My favorite sport is football. Now, I don't get distracted by the politics or the few goofballs that want to try to ruin the game for us. Amen? Football is just a distraction from the real world for me. I can compartmentalize it, and it's just a nice distraction. Amen? I was distracted Thursday night watching my team lose. Amen? But as I prepared for this message this week, I began to think about some of the players that maybe some football fans would know about, but maybe you didn't really know how they got where they were. And I want to tell you about one guy that's been in the news a lot lately. Many of you have heard of him. His name is Tom Brady. How many of you have heard the name Tom Brady? All right. Now, whether you like the guy or not, Tom Brady has done some amazing things in football. On the first day of practice of his rookie season, he walked up to the owner and he said this, one day you're going to know that drafting me was the best decision that the New England Patriots ever made. That's pretty bold for a rookie on his first day of practice, isn't it? Guy straight out of college. But he said, one day I'm going to be the best decision you ever made. And you know what? That's a mouthful, but I like that kind of confidence. But Tom Brady was not just content to stand on the sidelines. In only his second year in the league, Tom Brady replaced his in, the injured starter, uh, Drew Bledsoe, in the second game of the 2001 season, and Tom Brady never looked back. Now, what has he done in his career? Let me just give you a little synopsis. As a starter for 18 seasons, which, by the way, that's an accomplishment all in itself in the NFL. In 18 seasons, Brady led the Patriots to 17 division titles. 11 consecutive from 2009 to 2019, 13 AFC championship games, including eight consecutive championship games from 2011 to 2018, nine Super Bowl appearances, and six Super Bowl titles. All of these are NFL records for a player and a franchise. And that's staggering, folks. And if that was not enough, last year the Patriots decided they were going to part ways with Tom Brady. I don't know what they were thinking, amen? 
but they parted ways with Tom Brady, and I think Tom Brady had a little bit of salt in his wound. He might have had a little bit more pep in his step, and he went not only to another team but to another conference, and he led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win the Super Bowl last year. Look at those rings. Somebody gave me something a little while ago. This is a replica of Roger Stallback's 1971 Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl ring. Amen. By the way, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. Aren't you glad I don't preach with a ring like this? We need you to give your tithes and offerings. Amen. <laughs> Do you like my $30,000 ring? Amen. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm just going to wear this for a little while. Is that all right now? <laughs> But you know what Brady did? He went from rookie, from spectator, from bench warmer, to when he got his opportunity, he said, I'm never going to look back. Now, as a believer, does it really matter if I'm just a passive spectator holding my binoculars? Does it really matter? Hey, preacher, don't push me too hard. You got me here today. Amen. I brought my pom-poms. I'm cheering for you. I'll say amen. I dropped my little white envelope in the black box on the way out the door. I've done my part for the day. But have you done your part for the Lord? Amen. Is it enough to hold the binoculars and to hold the pom-pom when the Lord wants us to be on the field? Come on, when God wants us to be engaged in the battle, amen. See, it really comes down to this. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. James says, don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. Amen? There are already people, the Bible tells us, did you know, church, there's already people in the stands cheering us on? We need to be players in the game. Hebrews 12 and 1, the Bible says that there are people with pom-poms in their hands, and not just any old people, people like Abraham, people like the patriarchs, people like the disciples. And it says this, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. It says because of that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. Everybody say run. Come on, you can't run in the stands. Amen. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Binoculars, pom-poms, or shoulder pads. And today I want to challenge you. Don't be content just being a spectator. Don't be content just being a cheerleader. Find your place on the team. Amen. You see, we all have a spot. We all have a position on the field, not just on the sideline. I want to drive that point home today. Nobody is a bench warmer. Come on. Come on, nobody is a bench warmer. But you got to decide to put on the uniform and play in the game. And the first thing you got to do is show up. Amen. You can't play the game if you're not even in the vicinity of the field. You've got to show up. Now, you guys, you did that today. you got to show up at church. But not just that. you got to show up in life and realize, God, you've got something for me to do. 
1 Corinthians 12, the Bible says that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wants it. Amen. And you need to ask God, what is your part in the body of Christ, particularly in the church and in the kingdom? You might say, well, God hasn't called me to get up there and preach or get up there and play an instrument. Man, God has called you. Some of you, God has called you into the field of medicine. Some of you, God has called you into construction or landscaping. Some of you, he's called you into the school system. Come on, somebody. Some of you, God has called you to be a student. God has called you, and he wants you to shine on the field that he places you in. He wants you to make a difference for the kingdom. I know it's a well-worn cliche, but you got to remember this. There really is no I in team. It's not just about me. There is no one part, there is no one player that is better than the rest. We are a team. And it's a combined unit of every player working together to get the job done. Amen? And how we play the game matters. It does matter. We got to play with unity. We got to play with loyalty. We got to play with camaraderie. We got to play with humility. Amen? James chapter 1 and verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. Amen. And I'm going to tell you right now, on the team that I coach, I would rather have somebody with third-string ability and a first-string heart any day of the week. Amen. Because you know what? You can teach ability, but you can't teach character and loyalty. I would have rather have a rookie that doesn't know the playbook or the rules but he loves the game, and he loves the owner in the owner's box, amen? And he's decided, I want to get on the field, and I want to play. I'd rather have somebody like that than some veteran who plays with an attitude. Amen? Don't tell me how many years you've been on the team. Show me how dirty your uniform is. <laughs> have you ever noticed it's the guys with the clean uniforms are the ones that never get in the game? Amen? Show me some grass stains. Come on. Show me some cleat marks. Amen. Show me somebody with a bloody nose or a crooked finger. Amen. That's the kind of guy that I want on my team. Somebody that knows what it's like to be in the field of battle. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. See, I have a feeling that James, when he wrote this, he was frustrated by the hearers. Those spectators and cheerleaders who just stay close enough to the church to make them feel good, but far enough away so they would not be inconvenienced. Amen? Come on, James was convinced that just hearing the word was not enough. He believed that Christians must also be doers. Come on, somebody. Or people who act on their faith. He saw works as a tangible result of faith. Now, don't misconstrue me. Work, your works cannot save you. But the Bible teaches, read the book of James, that your faith is made evident by your works in your life. Amen. Doing is always a part of faith. Search the scriptures. You'll find that there's many instances of God's people who just went and did, even without knowing what the whole plan was. Abraham didn't have a plan, but he packed up anyway and left home. Rahab didn't have a friend, but she hid the Israelite spies who were sent to Jericho. Moses didn't have a clue, but he confronted Pharaoh with God's ultimatum anyway. Elijah didn't have a hope, but he defeated all the prophets of Baal. Nehemiah didn't have a country, but he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Mary didn't have a good name, but she still gave birth to the Son of God. John the Baptist didn't have a prophet's pedigree, but he still made the wilderness his pulpit and proclaimed the 
the coming Messiah. Amen. Peter did not have a backbone, but he became the rock of the church. Saul of Tarsus didn't have a heart, but God changed him, and Paul became the chief spokesman for the Gentiles. What is your excuse? What is my excuse? See, all of these people decided I'm not just going to be a spectator. I'm not just going to be a cheerleader. I'm going to be a player on God's team. Your commitment is made concrete through your actions. Amen? Your faith is given shape by the things that you are willing to do on the field. See, because when we became born-again Christians, it automatically included a call to ministry. It might be as a doctor or a construction worker or in the church, whatever it is. But hear me, every believer is created, saved, called, gifted, authorized, and commanded to minister. We all are. Can somebody say amen, amen? Why can't I just stand on the st- in the stands and be a spectator, Pastor? Why isn't it good enough to just be a cheerleader on the sidelines? Well, here's what Jesus said about that. Matthew 9, 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers where? Into the stands? Into the sidelines? Nope. Send them into the fields. I need harvesters in my fields. Jesus said there's a great harvest, and because there's a great harvest and only a few workers, we need more people on the field. We need more people in the field. See, you might think that that verse is only talking about evangelism or or leading people to Christ, and that's what the full-time ministers and the pastors are supposed to do. Just let the rest of us play a supporting role in, in helping them accomplish their mission, but that's not the case at all. What he is saying is that there's plenty of kingdom work for all of us to do. Amen? For all of us to do. Especially with all the crazy stuff that's going on around us right now in our world. See, what do I mean by kingdom work? Share the hope. Amen? Share the good news. There's so much bad news. Why don't we share the good news? Amen? Come on. Spread the message that there's an anchor for our souls and a peace that we can find. And if I come out of the stands, then where is the field? It's in your schools. It's at your job. Come on. Your field is your neighborhood. It's the little league team that your kid plays on. It's even in our homes. Amen? Amen. See, we want you to serve. We want you to find your place. But it's so important to be a messenger of hope in this generation. So real quickly. How do I come out of the stands onto the field? How do I come out of the sidelines, off the sidelines, on the field? I'm going to give you three things. Are you ready? Here's the first one. First thing you got to do is you got to shake the dust of the past. Can everybody say amen? Somebody help me. Let me know you're out there. Amen. Amen. Shake off the dust of the past. Jesus had some advice for his disciples. When they were rejected in the city. You know what he said? Shake off the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off. Paul got bit by a deadly snake one time. You know what he did? He didn't cry. He didn't complain. He didn't call for a prayer meeting. You know what he did? He shook it off into the fire. Snake hanging on my boy's arm. Shook it off into the fire. And he was unharmed. 
Both of those stories illustrate that the first move against complacency in our life, the first move against regrets from the past is shake it off. Amen. Shake it off. Come on, don't allow your past to hold you captive. Amen. All things. Even my past failures are working together for my good. That's what Romans 8.28 says. you got to shake off the dust of fear. Everybody say fear. Come on, fear will keep you in the stands. Fear will keep you on the sidelines. Amen. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will bring it unto completion in the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Church hurt, shake it off. Come on, past failures, shake it off. God will never ask you to do what he doesn't give you the power to do. He will give you the power to do what he's called you to do. You just got to shake off the dust and keep moving, amen? Second thing you got to do to get off the stands and into the field, you got to leave your excuses in the stands. Leave your excuses in the stands. Amen? As soon as you start moving toward the playing field, you're going to have to deal with all of your go-to excuses. Come on, everybody. Just go ahead a minute. Don't you know we all got our go-to excuses, right? You got your go-to excuses when you don't want to do chores. You got your go-to excuses when you don't want to do whatever. We got our go-to excuses even when it comes to church and to God, don't we? Amen? Thoughts of failure. Failure becomes an excuse. Discouragement. I'm discouraged. Discouragement becomes an excuse. Amen. I'm depressed. Depression becomes an excuse. I tried that before and it didn't work. That becomes an excuse. Come on, amen? Whatever your excuse is for not moving on to the harvest field, you got to leave it in the stands or leave it in this altar. Leave it in your prayer closet. Amen. Did you drop out of school and now you regret it? Enroll again. Get your GED. Amen. Did you fail in business and now you regret it? Guess what? Pray about it and start another one. Amen. Come on. Did you lose a relationship and you're still grieving over it? Go out and meet some new people. Get some new friends. Come on. I'm trying to help somebody. Some of us are being held hostage by our excuses. And God says, I want you to get up and make a fresh start again. Tomorrow's a brand new day. And hear me. Tomorrow can only be corrupted by the regret and the reluctance that our excuses from yesterday bring into it. Your tomorrow can only be corrupted by your regrets and your reluctance that you bring in from the past. How do I get on the field? Number one, I got to shake off the past. Number two, I got to leave my excuses. And number three, praise team and musicians, come on up. You need to prepare for a new assignment. Come on, somebody give God a praise right now. Some of you need to listen up because this is the part where God really wants you to pay attention. It's time to prepare for a new assignment. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel was grieved and he regretted that he had anointed Saul as king because Saul had failed in so many ways. You read that story. Saul messed up royally, amen. And you know what happened? Samuel was grieved about it. 
Samuel was fed up. Samuel had mentored Saul. Samuel had anointed Saul. Samuel had been there and tried to coach him along and help him along. But I want you to notice what God said to him in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. Now the Lord, why don't you stand with me right now? Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. Come on. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So Samuel, I'm ready for you. you got to take a next step. Samuel, I want you to fill your flask with olive oil. I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to find a man named Jesse who lives there because I have picked one of his sons to be the king. Yeah, Lord, I've already done that before. You sent me to Saul, remember? Yeah, I do remember Samuel. I'm the one who picked him. But Samuel, I've got a new assignment for you. Come on, somebody. Is anybody getting this at all? Come on. I've got a new assignment for you. Yes, yeah, Saul failed. But it's time for you to quit grieving about Saul. Saul messed up. But I want you to take that same bottle that you put the oil in before. I want you to refill that oil, and I want you to go to Bethlehem because I've got somebody else selected as king. Now, hear me, don't miss this. That somebody was David. But in order for David to step into his purpose, Samuel had to step into his purpose. Before David could become the king, Samuel had to quit crying about Saul. Come on, somebody. And Samuel had to say, you know what, Lord? Yep, I will refill the bottle again. I will go to Bethlehem. And who's it going to be? Don't worry about who it's going to be. Just go to Jesse's house. I'm going to show you who I picked. But it was contingent upon him embracing his new assignment. Some of you right now, the Holy Spirit has a new assignment for you. Come on. He's got a new assignment right here in this church. He's got a new assignment on your job. He's got a new assignment. And somebody has got a name, and they God wants you to reach them. God wants you to influence them. God wants you to mentor them. God wants you to help. Come on, somebody right now, God's got a new assignment. You've been running from it. And here's what God wants me to tell you. Stop grieving over Saul and embrace the David that is in your future. Right now. God is calling for somebody to put your binoculars down, to put your pom-poms down, and say, I'm ready to make take my next step. I'm not just going to cheer on the team when they do good. I want to be on the field myself. Amen? I want God to use me, and I want to embrace my next assignment. I'm going to open up this altar, and I want to open it up to two groups of people. First of all, and most importantly, to those of you who maybe are not a committed believer yet. Maybe you've been in the stands, and I applaud you. I do. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've been watching. I'm glad you've been asking questions. I'm glad you've been trying to figure this thing out. But you know what? And you know it. God is calling you to step into the field. God is calling you to say yes. God is calling you to say, yes, Lord, I embrace you and I accept you. Amen. Your next step is to say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. 
I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I'm ready to begin a new relationship with you. How many of you are glad that that was the greatest decision you ever made? Amen. And maybe you need to make that decision today, and we will pray with you, and we will rejoice with you. But then there's others. You've already made that decision. And I want to challenge you right now. I want to challenge you to come out of the stands and come off the sidelines and say, God, I'm ready for a new assignment. I'm ready for whatever it is that you've called me to do. You say, man, I'm already involved. That's great. Are you ready for something fresh? Are you ready for God to bless what you're doing? Are you ready for God to take you into a new season and a new anointing? Can I get a little help in this house? Does anybody want God to do something new in your life? God, I want it. I want it. I want it. We're going to open up this altar, and as the praise team begins to sing, I want to invite you to come, and I want you to invite you to lift your hands and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back in the field. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to do whatever you've called me to do. Let's respond to him in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing on his promise. Come on, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready.
in this house. Come on, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, is somebody hungry for a move of God? Hallelujah. God, I want you to use me in my generation. God, I want you to use me in this generation, God. I want to be a voice of hope and encouragement, Lord. We thank you today. We thank you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Find your place on the team, amen. Pray about what God would have you to do. Don't just be that guy that goes to work and never tells anybody about Jesus. I know I'm challenging you. That's my job. Amen. That's my, don't just be content to be that little person that keeps their faith in a box. Because God might be just ready to let your light shine and change somebody's world. Amen. God can use you right where you are. We've made ministry so complicated. we made it such a big, and it's just really fulfilling the will of God in your own life, in your place, and in your season. God, I want to do it. I want to do it. Jonathan, that's a king's dominion. Gary, that's on your job. Vinny, that's on your job. Michael, that's on your job. Eddie, that's when you're servicing those trucks. Noah, that's with the police department. Amen. Wherever you are, grow where you're planted. And watch God multiply the harvest, amen, in your field. Father, I thank you today, God. On this Jersey Sunday, I just pray you would remind us that we're part of something bigger than just us. We're part of your team. And it's not just the team at Life Church and not just the Christian, the Christians here in America. We're part of a global team. I pray, Lord, that we could fulfill your will in this generation, a generation that needs hope and encouragement like never before, a generation that needs faith to replace fear and anxiety, a generation that needs to trust you and not ourselves. We thank you for this, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go out. Have a great week this week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.